My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast, where the minor details of every story matter. Each week, I talk to Maryland newsmakers, from elected officials, journalists, political candidates, to policy wonks and everyday Marylanders. A Minor Detail podcast is the fusion between Maryland news and politics. Real people, real stories, honest conversation. You can also follow us on the web at aminordetail.com. Sit back, relax, and have fun. Good evening, everybody, and happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day to all those hardworking Marylanders out there who make our economy go round, who put in the 40, 50-hour, 60-hour, 70-hour work weeks. That's what it's all about, and that's why we live in a great state for the people who are out on the front lines every day doing that hard work. Uh, My father, grandfather, grandmother, mom, dad, they're all working class folks. And I'm proud to come from a city like the city of Hagerstown, where, you know, that was what it's all about. Um, and, uh, you know, my, I'm so appreciative of, uh, growing up in a middle-class family that taught me those values from, uh, an early age. And speaking of cities, we have the mayor of Salisbury, my good buddy, Jake Day, who is going to talk about himself a little bit, but then he's going to talk about <laughs> the city of Salisbury. And so with great pleasure, I have the inter- the opportunity to introduce Mayor Day. Uh, Mr. Mayor, thanks for doing this. And hey, third time's a charm. I got to tell you, this is it. Well, look, uh, Ryan, I'm, I'm honored to be here and uh, and proud to uh, to, to make this finally happen. Uh, I was yeah. looking forward to it the first time, and, and now we've got it. We're here. And, uh, and I'm glad you started out the way you did. Um, you know, Hagerstown and Salisbury, we're not that different. You know, we've, there's a lot that we have in common, uh, you know, similar trajectories and stories. And, um, you know, there's, there's some uh, bright spots on the horizon for both of those towns. Both uh, some major bright spots. And look, uh, Merritt, growing up, uh, I lived in the city of Hagerstown. I was born in the old Washington County Hospital, which is now no longer in existence because they tore it down and built a brand new hospital uh, just on the outskirts of the city of Hagerstown. And my, I, I believe I'm a f- either a fourth or fifth generation Hagerstonian. My grandfather, great-grandfather, and then my great-great-grandfather, all from Hagerstown. So my, my grandfather worked for the city of Hagerstown, Mayor, for 35 years of his career. He retired in 1985. Wow. He came back um, from the war. He got a job working for the municipal light plant as an engineer. And for 30 wow. some years, he worked uh, for the city. And I, I got to tell you, they were good to him. They were, they were really so good to him. And they treated him with dignity and respect. And when he retired, it, yeah. was, it was a sad day. Cause, uh, but then again, when he retired was right around the time I was born. So he got to be a granddad. Um, and uh, I got a lot of great memories in the city. I lived there until I was about 10 years old. Then we moved to the County. My parents ran a small business and you're right. It's similar to the makeup and the same story as a working class town, 
like the city of Salisbury. And as a kid going to Ocean City, we'd always stop in Salisbury, maybe for a bite to eat. Or and I've, uh, in fact, um, Mayor, when I was, um, I, w- I used to work for a company that was headquartered. Um, one of their offices was headquartered in Salisbury. It was called the Nolan Group, and they may still have a absolutely. Uh, yeah, so they may still have a, a um, one of their corporate offices there. I know recently they moved to Virginia, but back in 2012 and, and 13, I worked for this really cool techie company, and I spent a few days down in Salisbury and got to explore the city. And so we're here tonight because I want to I want to learn as much as I can. I want to go around the state and invite so many different folks on the air like yourself to talk about the city, about what's happening. But first, I want to get into your narrative. You're somewhat new to Maryland, the Maryland political scene in the sense that you're um, you've been in office for what is it, two years now, Mr. Mayor? Well, I, I was uh, Salisbury City Council president for two and a half years, and oh, I've been mayor for that's all right. And I've been mayor for a little more than two and a half years. So in total, about five years. But uh, in, in this role, uh, you know, our chief elected uh, position, uh, less than three years. Well, I know I know you're humble about talking about yourself, but if you could give the audience a little bit of a background about where you grew up, um, your personal narrative, maybe a little bit about your uh, what you're doing outside of being the mayor. I know it's a full-time job, but um, you have a really unique okay. career. And if you could talk about maybe a little bit about your family and, and how you got interested in politics and how your personal narrative has shaped your, your political start, uh, I think that'd be an excellent start to this, uh, to this interview. Well, um, I'd be happy to. Uh, not unlike yourself, I've got a couple generations, though I, I haven't quite reached that you know, four or five or six uh, generation history in Salisbury. Um, my my grandfather uh, was a, a pastor. He was a uh, a pastor in the Church of God, and um, he uh, he was a pastor to a church here in Salisbury, Parkway Church of God, which was one of the first um, uh, significantly integrated churches uh, in the Salisbury area. And uh, he was here in the 1960s. Um, and so my, my dad, my aunt and uncle, they all grew up here. Um, they spent uh, most of their childhood here. Uh, my dad played football at Bennett High School. Later, uh, his senior year, they moved to Easton, and um, my grandfather started the Easton Church of God. He was the, the minister there. And, um, and uh, so my dad finished out his football career at uh, at Easton High School, you can imagine what it's like for a senior in high school to have to move from one high school football team to their rival high school. One of the two, team. and one of the two high schools in in all of Talbot County. That's right, and and by far the large one. Um, yeah, and and not uh, you know probably not a happy day for him, but uh, you know he they they moved on, but he found his way back. Um, so my dad's first uh, first job out of school was with Purdue, which, uh, as you know, is uh, headquartered in Salisbury. Um, Purdue Farms has grown from a you know a small uh, uh, egg uh, uh, hen hen laying uh, or excuse me egg laying hen uh, uh, company um, founded in 1920 and uh, is now a, a nearly 10 billion dollar year company with 22,000 employees around the world and. Um, so my dad still works there. He's the CEO of Purdue now. Um, so he's he's uh, worked there for uh, almost 39 years, all of his uh, adult life. Um, and so that's kept us, uh, you know, our family roots right here in Salisbury. 
Um, my brother, uh, my little brother's become a farmer. Uh, he's a farmer here uh, in Wicomico County, Eastern Wicomico County. My sister's a school teacher. My mother was a school teacher here, and um, and my wife's a school teacher. Um, you know, I I love this place, and I grew up here uh, around teachers and um, and and adults who truly gave me the sense that if I spoke up, I was listened to, and. That's a pretty simple idea to convey um, to a kid, um, but but it was powerful and it, it meant a lot to me. And it was one of the reasons why I was attracted to becoming um, involved in this place. And you know, I'll admit, and I'll tell you now, and I'll say it, you know, here publicly. When I was like seven years old, I remember thinking, I want to be the mayor of Salisbury one day. <laughs> and, and that's that's not too grand an aspiration, I think, but. But, you know, it also wasn't rooted in ego. It was rooted in an interest in, in making a place better and making my place, you know, my community, my town, a better right. place. And, well, uh, and so, when I was a kid, too, Jake, sorry, I yeah. got to be honest with you. No, I was, was going to say, I, 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 sh- I think when I was like eight or nine or maybe around that age, I don't know, I think I wanted to be president of the United States just because, you know, every parent wants their kid to be president of the United States. So I don't know about these yeah. days because I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I would have the, well, the, the skin to, to enter politics in a way that uh, so many people have, but it's, it's a rough and tumble out there, but we'll get to that later. Right. And, and, you know, I can only hope that it gets better than it is. And uh, when yeah. you run, you just let me know uh, what I can do for you. <laughs> you put me on your staff or something. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll take you up on that. But, uh, yeah, so so Ryan, I I left uh, I left Salisbury at at eighteen, graduated high school, and um, and went to the University of Maryland to study architecture, and that was kind of my way of um, shaping this the city that I was interested in, and shaping cities in general. I was interested in you know how do you make great places, and how do you make them thrive, and how do you make them sustainable, um, not just in an environmental sense, but more importantly to me in the uh, economic and cultural sense. How do you make them, uh, how do you make them work for themselves um, rather than having to prop up cities that are decaying and uh, places that are decaying? So I was really interested in that. And so I studied that in architecture school and, you know, somehow, some way, um, found myself leading a chapter of an organization called the American Institute of Architecture Students, yeah. uh, which is the student, student organization. Um, but uh, I was the, the chapter president there at Maryland, and I got convinced to run for the national presidency, which architecture is an interesting profession. Like, like many others, it eats its young, and um, it's not great about the culture um, in the workplace or even in the schools, but but one of the things they have figured out is, again, how to listen to young people. And, and that, once again, impacted my life because um, uh, I, I was elected the national president of uh, the AIAS and sat on the board, uh, the national board of the American Institute of Architects, and served in a leadership capacity in the architecture profession for several years before um, going back to school. And uh, being listened to as a young person yeah, has a powerful impact on sure. you know, how you perceive yourself, uh, you know, the validity of your own ideas, and, and ultimately uh, whether or not you're going to stay in the environment you found yourself in. So uh, I went back wow. to school, you know, tried to delay life a little bit longer, 
one of the things I realized was, you know, the first job out of school being the president and CEO of this, uh, you know, small, but still being in the leadership role of this nonprofit, it kind of ruins you for your, <laughs> the yeah. rest of your career. You're like, wait, what, wait, I'm not in charge anymore. <laughs> um, Jake, I wanted so to, I, to I wanted to ask you yeah. just a quick question. Um, you mentioned as you know, you went to school for architecture, I had the opportunity mm-hmm. to do uh, some marketing and public relations work um, as a consultant for a Washington, D.C.-based company named Jacobson Architecture. Um, I don't know if yeah. you're familiar with that, but, of course, they're, they're, they're famous, um, the famous architect, Hugh Noel Jacobson. I worked for his son, Simon, and, um, of course, wow. uh, his father was the one who designed Jackie Kennedy's home, um, and I believe it was on Martha's Vineyard. And of course, Jacobson Architecture is one of those renowned uh, architectural firms. And it's lo- located in uh, Georgetown. And so I did some marketing work for them. I didn't know if you ever heard of them or not. Of course. Hugh Newell yeah. J- Jacobson is a well-known architect. That's incredible. Yeah, great guy. Yeah, too. I, didn't, just... I didn't know that his son had gone into the practice, but very interesting. Yes. And he's also a big fan of sailing. And he spends a lot of time on Maryland's eastern shore with his sailboat, of which I've had the opportunity to to go on some oh, of the wow. sailing outings. So, um, yeah, it's it's a small world, and what what an incredible career! And so then, Jake, you also have another career in that you are you entered the the United States Army. I believe you are are you a captain or are you a first lieutenant at this time? I'm a captain. Okay, well. Um, so you and I, um, also share that, um, when I was in, uh, when I was in college, um, I joined the army, I joined the Pennsylvania army national guard. And so I, I too went to basic combat training at Fort Benning, Georgia, um, as a grunt. Oh, so, very nice. Yeah. I, uh, some of the what, best memories of my life. Absolutely. That was the best experience of my entire life. Um, so Ryan, what, uh, were you in the, um, First of all, do you remember what unit you were in in basic? Um, oh, it was we were we were right up near the the PX station, and um, uh, it's been so were long ago. Old, uh, were you in the old brick Starship buildings? I was in the old yeah. It was a a two story barracks, and mm-hmm. you know we were in. We, when I was there, the major general of the, the base was a guy by the name of Major General Wojcikowski. And um, okay. I don't know if he's still there, but uh, he was the uh, – he oversaw the base when I was there. But great opportunity. Um, it helped me go through college. Um, I, I joined – you know, it was right in the middle of the, the, the heart of the, the Iraq War. I never saw combat, but – it was one of those opportunities that uh, I I felt a sense of duty since both my grandfathers served, and uh, I don't talk about mm-hmm. it too much, but uh, it's just something that I hold near and dear to my heart, and I know that it's something that you're very proud of, and and you've talked about it as a sense of leadership, you know, ser- serving as an army officer. Um, that really, to me, says a lot about who you are as a person. Well, um, it was a an endeavor that to me was just something I couldn't pass up. Um, when I was 17, I remember getting the, the calls from recruiters and the, the you know, flyers mailed to our house. 
and my mom would throw away the flyers and she would hang up on the recruiters. Um, so, you know, it wasn't until I was almost 27 that I decided to go in. Um, but I just couldn't not. And, you know, when it's in you and, you know, you feel like it's a part of who you are, you, you can't deny it. Um, and you know that. Um, yeah. So so I decided to do it, even though it was late in life. I think they called me grandpa for the first half of the uh, <laughs> first couple months of basic, uh, <laughs> you know, even though, uh, you know, because most, most people are 17, 18 years old, you know, or 18 years old, 19 years old when they arrive at basic training. But, uh, you know, 26 years old sounds ancient. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I went, uh, I went through uh, basic there and, uh, have spent some time back there for armor school and um, uh, maneuver captain's career course and a couple other courses. But yeah, um, the military has given me um, more of an opportunity to hone my understanding of effective leadership than I think any other experience in life could. Um, and that's not to suggest that it should be a prerequisite for le- public leadership or anything like that. It's just that um, I've found that does give you an opportunity to apply skills in a way that um, few other experiences in life, even leadership training, you know, experiences in life have prepared me for. Yeah, of course. Um, And of course, as you entered public life and first serving on the, the city council, I mean, nothing prepares you really for elected office. And I've interviewed, you know, dozens of that's true candidates, and I've interviewed dozens of people in office and governors, members of Congress. I've been very blessed and fortunate to have that opportunity. Even Congressman Don John Delaney, who, as we all know, is running for president of the United States, mm-hmm. and he, he it's funny he asked me to tag along with him either out to Iowa or New Hampshire, which is cool because I've been up to New Hampshire. Um, my wife and I, Kim and I, we were up in New Hampshire. And the last time we were in New Hampshire, well, I think it was the second to last. We spent a total of four different times during the 2016 race. Um, we saw wow. um, Senator John McCain the last time. And that's where wow. my Facebook picture comes from. We were at an event. It was a little get together for several of the Republican candidates at that time. And I remember uh, Lindsey Graham spoke. John McCain was there with Lindsey Graham. Uh, Joe Scarborough just randomly showed up. And John Kasich was there. Carly Fiorina was there. And this was in September of 2015. And, you know, I was just thinking a lot in the last couple of days, in the last week since um, Senator McCain has passed in his military career and his career Mm -hmm. as a a public servant, as a United States senator for 30 years and before that, a congressman and then a, a POW. Just what politics has what his generation of politics means and what it has been, what his career has been defined by. And, you know, I listened and watched much of his funeral yesterday morning and it's, it's sad to see his generation, uh, you know, a, a sense of decency that has passed along with him. And I'm, I'm deadly certain that this will, where we are at today in, in American politics, the polarization um, where both parties refuse to work across with one another where we're more so just fighting this call to personality. I'm, I'm convinced that something is going to snap soon and maybe we'll find some normalcy. I'm, I'm hoping because this is not where our political system should be. And Jake, I'm, I'm sure is 
you've experienced in public life and as a public servant, that even at the local level where not too much partisan politics, or at least it shouldn't come into play, I'm sure that you have, uh, you know, maybe have taken some heat. I mean, look, you're a Democrat in the heart of a of a territory of a <laughs> you know, a region in Maryland where it's almost unheard of to be a, a Democrat. There's Congressman Andy Harris is a is an elected Republican. He's one of the most conservative members of the United States House of Representatives. He's an ardent True. Uh, Trump fan and somebody who backs the president regardless. And most of the elected officials on the Eastern Shore, I believe, are Republican, even though we're a two to one state. Sure. But, you know, even as a Democrat mayor, I know that you don't operate as a Democrat or Republican. I mean, you operate what's the best interest of your city, what's the best interest of the community. And, you know, we'll talk some policy and some of your initiatives. But haven't you noticed in the past five years, maybe even 10, that politics have just gone off the rails? Uh, of course. Absolutely. And it's embarrassing. And, you know, I, I strain looking for the the models, you know, uh, who set an example that I want to emulate. Um, they're, they're, they're hard to find. Uh, they really are. And, and that's not to suggest they aren't there, but they're too few and far between. Um, and, and you talked about Senator John McCain, and I was just sharing this uh, recently with a friend that um, I think the thing that, that you know, y- you and, um, and John McCain and, uh, and others who have provided service to this country in one form or fashion understand um, at different levels, obviously, you know, you've sacrificed time, um, you know, um, those who find themselves in a combat zone sacrifice time and security and safety. Um, Senator John McCain sacrificed even more than that. You know, he, he sacrificed his freedom willingly uh, while, you know, he wasn't willing to be released until his fellow, his fellow comrades were, were released. And, you know, I think the thing that, that America needs is more people who understand sacrifice. And, and I, I think what it, what it means to understand sacrifice in public life is that, you know, it's not about bravado of, oh, I'm the better negotiator or I'm the better uh, business person, um, but rather I can come to the table and I can see the bigger picture. And it may mean that I've got to give up something that, yes, I want, but I'm willing to give it up for a better outcome for the most possible people. Right. And that, that's something I think, John McCain did. Um, yeah. You know, undoubtedly perfect in everyone's mind. No way. You know, everybody probably could, could pick one or two things that they disagreed with, but I would, I think if you're going to be successful in public life and you're, you're going to work hard to do the right thing, you're going to make some people mad sometimes. Yeah. Um, there's things that I disagreed with about with John McCain, but you know, I, I never prefaced my, my thoughts in his passing that, you know, with I, I saw a lot of people, and it's fine. People remember how they wish to, and they're certainly entitled to that. But I always, I always thought that Senator McCain represents the same generation as my grandfather's. They, where they were bound by duty, honor, a code of ethics of service. And my grandfather's, my grandfather on my my dad's side was career Air Force, and uh, he he served. Um, 
his entire life with in, in uniform. And that was his career. And he made this country a better place. My other grandfather was a World War II veteran. And he, you know, he doesn't talk too much about it much, but occasionally he'll share stories because I think it's a, a time that he uh, maybe doesn't want to always remember some of what happened during his time overseas. But these are American values of sacrifice, like you mentioned, of, of service to a higher cause. And, and Barack Obama said it best yesterday that, you know, John McCain always recognized that we're all on the same team as Americans. And we're just so used now, used to these days, this tribalistic, uh, all or nothing politics that has come to define the conversation. And I, I always hated that. I always rejected that. And I see it on both parties and I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we can stick to our values. We can, we can fight hard for our beliefs and have those necessary debates, but do so that doesn't question the patriotism of your opponent or believe that your opponent whom you have a disagreement with is somehow nefarious or operating in bad faith or has been described many times in Facebook threads as evil. I, I think that we're just better than that. And somewhere, Jake, we've lost that we just lost our way about how we communicate one, with one another. And I think social media has added a almost a window that has prevented us from really interacting in person. I always opt to meet somebody in person and have a sit down conversation. If I have a disagreement or if I want to learn more about this person, I mean, in this case, of course, you're in Salisbury. I'm in Montgomery County. I always like doing interviews from one-on-one, but, but you got to do better at our national politics. And even at the local level, I've seen some, some people in Maryland make some comments that I, I'm just like, come on, you can do better than that. And I, I'm just, I'm hoping and, and wishing that we can return to a polite star style of politics. We can have disagreements and we can fight it out and we can talk about the policy and get to the nexus of why we believe something, why we are, why our core values are rooted and, um, and directed in a certain way. But, but we, at the end of the day, we should be able to, to grab a drink together and say, Hey, that was a good d- discussion. Let's see what we can do to work together. Do you think we'll ever return to that? I'm hoping. I'm hoping that that's there. Brian, if it's going to happen, I think it's going to happen from the ground up. And and for me, that means it's going to happen at our HOA meetings and it's going to happen at our city councils and it's going to happen, you know, maybe in our state houses before it's ever going to happen in the halls of Congress. And that's I I think that's the, the way that America repairs itself, you know, from from the ground up, you know, right now. Right now, we're lacking for leadership nationally. So we are. I have a hard time believing that it's going to come from Washington, D.C. I have a hard time believing any of us is going to turn on, you know, CNN or, or Fox News or MSNBC and, and, and 75% of America will see someone in their voice and their message will cut through partisanship and we'll all just say, yes, <laughs> yes, we will, we will follow you. And, and, and we will come together once again as a nation. Um, you know, I, I fear that, uh, that at times, you know, we, we really find our bonds over hardships, um, but it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, you know, I think there are, there are good examples in, in um, you know, in those, 
uh, HOAs and in those city councils. You know, there are places where it is working and where people can be civil. Um, there are also really bad examples, but I'm, I'm hopeful that there are, are going to be bright, shining lights coming out of certain communities and that we might be able to, to see that as a model. Um, you know, one of the things I, I recently uh, read was a, a New York Times um, uh, editorial uh, recommending that the nation look at localism as a as an alternative to this hyperpartisanship, and, and the idea being that you know if we take care of our neighborhoods and, and if we can come together to fix block by block and can come together to repair our our town or our village or our city or our county, then maybe maybe we can do the same thing eventually as a nation. Well, that's a great pivot, Mayor, and that that gives me the opportunity to move into. When you became mayor and when uh, and alongside your city council, let's talk about where the city was when you took office, where your city council was, and what's been accomplished um, since you were on the city council, then moved into the mayor, mayor's position, and where we are in 2018, and you know, what are some of the, the top initiatives happening in Salisbury, what are some of the public policies that you've championed and that you've worked alongside your city council? I think this is a great opportunity to really plug the city of Salisbury, talk about some of its economic development, maybe talk about some of its public safety measures, and uh, kind of give a sense of the, the theme around the city of Salisbury, located in the heart of the Eastern Shore. So, you know, Mayor, the floor is yours, and we can lead this discussion for the next half hour to wherever you want to go. Well, I'm not shy about singing Salisbury's praises, so that's good. That's <laughs> so good. I will, I will happily do that. When I ran for city council, I'm just going to take you back a little bit. Um, when I ran for city council, um, I was running against a a person and an idea and a dynamic that was um, that was, you know. We have to say that we are fighting for our communities, and yet that act of fighting is just tearing our town apart. Um, and it was this, it was this anger and um, uh, negativity, um, even in the way that uh, city leaders talked about their own city. Um, it was just such vitriol, and the city was in. Uh, a state of um, a dysfunction uh, where nothing was getting accomplished. My predecessor couldn't couldn't get done what he wanted to get done. Um, he was at loggerheads with the city council. And um, after several years of being asked to run for city council, I finally said, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of it. I will. I, I actually quit my job <laughs> um, yeah, and, uh, and ran for city council pretty much full time. Um, the uh, the dynamic you know that I tried to establish as the city council president was one where first and foremost we are going to be civil to one another we are going to respect one another we're going to treat each other well and um, we're going to disagree disagreeably or excuse me agreeably and um, we're going to do our best um, just to set an example so the first couple meetings we invited uh, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts to our meeting. And uh, you'd be amazed at the at the impact it had. Uh, adults behaved a little bit more like adults for a while, and, and that helped quite a bit. 
you know, our focus, our focus, you, you made a, a remark earlier, which was that, um, that, uh, nobody, um, nobody prepares you on as to how to become a, uh, an elected official. And that's I so true. So. But I, but, but the most important thing you can do is to have a clear idea of what you want to accomplish. And that's something that I don't think existed. Um, so I spent a lot of time before I ran writing a plan on what I was going to do, and I published it. My opponent used that against me, you know, saying, how are you going to pay for all these things? These sound great, but how are we going to pay for them? Um, you know, about half of the things that I proposed were ways to save money, um, <laughs> you know, but in politics, you know, ignore those things, right? Um, oh, so, so I, I, you know, I, I set about trying to implement um, the, uh, the dogged pursuit of these eight pillars. And, you know, as a team, um, the city council and mayor at the time, we really started trying to tackle them. And these were, we were going to address the brain drain uh, that was occurring in our community. We were going to grow the economy rooted first and foremost in arts and culture, but not ignoring our manufacturing base. Salisbury has a 12% manufacturing employment um, you know, compared to Maryland, which has less than 3% manufacturing employment. The U S is about, I think a little less than 8% manufacturing employment. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, you know, we didn't want to ignore those things, but we recognized that uh, a, a foundation in culture in the arts was something that was sorely lacking and really uh, a detriment to our competitiveness. Um, you know, we also wanted to focus on our uh, bolstering our neighborhoods, especially some of our older historic neighborhoods. Um, you know, public safety is uh, a critical issue, remains, uh, you know, a, a focus of ours. And that's, that's particularly important because um, the perception about public safety uh, harder to overcome and harder to change than the reality uh, of public safety, at least in, in our case, it's been very difficult to change perception. So, so in the last few years um, as mayor, um, one of the things that we have done is you know, we, we immediately rebranded our city. Um, and that for us meant you know, hiring uh, a global branding firm, uh, working on rebranding, you know, establishing our identity, bringing in a lot of people into the process of redefining who and what we are. And part of the problem was we had no identity. And so the negative voices that had been out there for years, that had become our identity. It's all people knew about us. It was, um, you know, a little Baltimore. It was whatever they wanted to call us that week. That's what we were. Uh, we, we had nothing that we threw back. You know, we, we didn't say we are, you know, Maryland's coastal college town or the capital of the Eastern Shore or the heart and soul of Del Mar. But we, we just didn't say any of those things. And we didn't live up to those things because we weren't focused on it. We were playing defense. So we established an offense, and we, uh, we worked really hard to, um, to support that by creating a rhythm of public events, of, uh, of community events. So our third Friday took off. Thousands of people now come downtown for our third Friday. Our, our New Year's Eve ball drop attracts five to 7,000 people into mm. the downtown area. Um, you know, big uh, big efforts to build community and to rebuild community around um, public spaces and around, around our core and around the arts. Um, that was a, a major effort for us. You know, additionally, we, 
we recognize, I think, that um, we we have a, like I said, a, a problem as to perception regarding public safety. Um, but, yeah. but we truly had a problem not too long ago, a real problem. In 2009, we had um, the fourth highest per capita part one crime rate in America. And you know, if, you, if you're like me and you read that FBI uniform crime report, you know, it, it says, hey, do not, do not rank cities, don't, don't compare cities, everything's different, every crime's different. Um, you know, tallying these numbers up doesn't help you. Well, you know, that only matters so much because Americans love lists. We just love lists. <laughs> and, and so, you know, rankings are something people want to pay attention to, and they, people do pay attention to. So we, we set about hiring more police officers and also focusing on building trust, building trust in the community among our, between our police force and our neighborhoods, um, I think had as much, if not more of an impact on reducing crime than our um, addition of 16 police officers in 2014. Mm. I, I think uh, both of those things combined have had a tremendous impact because 2016 was the lowest actual number of part one crimes that our city has had since we started recording in 1980. So from 2009, hitting the fourth highest per capita part one crimes in the country to 2016 and being at our best since 1980 is, is a good moment for us. You know, not just the lowest per capita for us, but the lowest actual number of incidents. Um, so you know, we, we feel like we've really gotten somewhere and that's, that's holding. 2017 was up 1.5%. 2018 is down 3.3% so far. So, you know, it's holding. That progress is holding. And I think uh, for us, that persistence and that consistency is the only thing that's going to eventually change the narrative. Um, because there are still people who want to say, you know, and partly because we live in a rural region and Salisbury is the little piece of urban that we have, people are, you know, not everybody is, unco- excuse me, not everybody is comfortable with that. Not everybody is comfortable with this idea of a little slice of city on the Eastern shore. And I don't know if that's something you, you see in Western Maryland with Hagerstown, but uh, it's something we deal with here. Well, yeah, and, I wanted to bring that up. I, yeah. And growing up in Hagerstown, it was once an industrial city, I, I, as I'm sure that Salisbury was. There was a, a, a center of working-class people. The city of Hagerstown itself was divided into four different quadrants. The north end was always known as the, the rich part. The south end was sort of middle class, um, where my grandparents were, uh, the working class. The west end, where my grandparents grew up, was always known as the rougher part of town. And then the East End near um, the, um, uh, you know, had some parks, but it, it didn't have a, 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 an identity that I can think of at this time. But, you know, the city of Hagerstown has gone through uh, a series of machinations of what is, the, what, what is the city of Hagerstown? What kind of city do they want to be? They constantly struggle because <laughs> the city council now, it's, and it's getting better, but they they're they're struggling with an identity crisis so it seems 
and they may refute that, and that's fine. It's not it's not completely fair that I'm saying that without a a, a representative from the city. But they have grown too to become a better city. But you know, Maryland is unique that we every city has every city should have its own identity. And I, you know, in in fairness, Mayor, you know, there was a time when people said, well, Fallsbury is a city with a lot of public safety issues. Probably best not to move mm-hmm. down to downtown. And I think that that narrative is slowly being chipped away at by how you have rebranded the city as an arts and entertainment. Hagerstown, similarly, they've done where, you know, they've done a lot of downtown activities to highlight the cultural aspect of the city, including, you know, uh, wind down Fridays, when you get together and there's live music. They're reshaping the, the Maryland theater in the city of Hagerstown. They're rebuilding uh, mm-hmm. that, um, which is a big cultural hub. They located a school in the it's called the Barbara Ingram School for the Arts, and if you talk to our close mutual friend Dave Hanlon, who's now a, um, a proud uh, Wicomico County resident, um, he'll explain yes, this. He that, is. Yeah, what what that means. And Dave, of course, was he was in my Rotary Club up in the city of Hagerstown. There's a lot that's happening beneath the surface that the public doesn't see or that the newspaper doesn't always report on, and oftentimes you see the newspaper. And God love them. The Herald Mail is a great newspaper. I've grown up reading it. But they cover crime. They cover some of the more uh, interesting stories. And I like to cover more of the political side. But a lot of times the newspaper misses the positive happenings, like the events where the community gets together and they – like the Blues Festival that we have. And I'm sure there's many cultural events that you could talk about that bring out major crowds. But Salisbury is really a jewel of the Eastern Shore, and my wife and I eventually want to live down on the Eastern Shore. Um, Lynn Foxwell is desperately trying to get me to move to Cambridge, Um, (laughs) so I'm I'm like, well, that that might be a good idea. Kim and I got married in in St. Michael's, and Easton is just a beautiful town. Uh, We love St. Michael's. It might be out of our price range right now. Who knows? But yeah, Salisbury is a place that I could see myself eventually retiring to, and it takes it takes a lot of work at the at the city level. People think that you know you show up to a city council meeting or you show up once a week to a um, to a meeting with the mayor, and that's it. But you know as well as I do, Jake, that being it, it's your job as mayor is a full time job plus some. And when yeah. you mention the rebranding efforts. Man, I got to tell you, it works, and it has been working. I've been following you since day one when you first became mayor when the city council's taken over, and I've seen a lot of positive movements, and I think your identity is growing, and it's fascinating. Can you speak to that? Can you talk about you know, a little bit more about the public safety aspect and the neighborhood feeling of of the city of Salisbury? Yeah, you know, I, I think, Ryan, that um, – the the best part about my job right now is that I've got a team um, that is is really all oriented in one direction. So I've got a council of five people, and we are very different, um, and uh, we are uh, each unique politically and experientially. Uh, our city council president is Jack Heath. He's the uh, former CEO and, and executive in, in multiple uh, manufacturing companies. Um, our vice president is Mira Bodum. Mira is a 
uh, a senior manager at uh, Walmart in Salisbury and um, is a libertarian, um, uh, a leading voice uh, in the libertarian great guy. movement. Um, I love that guy. And, and uh, he, he is a great guy. Um, and, and those two are doing just such a fantastic job leading the council. Um, and then they've got three, you know, also very interesting and different council members, uh, in Jim Ireton, the former mayor and April Jackson and, um, and, uh, Hardy Rudisill, um, you know, all really working well together and working well with my administration. You know, they, they have, um, they have worked with us as we have restructured government, uh, last year, last summer, we restructured uh, city government entirely. Uh, 77 different teams moved around um, into a totally new organization that, you know, isn't, um, doesn't reflect what you'd see in most city governments. I mean, yes, we still have a police department and a fire department, but you know, we also have a, a field operations department and a uh, infrastructure and development department and uh, an information services department and um, you know, I, I could go on and on about what those do and what they mean, but you know, it's all about serving the citizens better with a form of government that responds to the needs of today, which, you know, frankly, are not the needs of, you know, the 1920s when we, when every town in America created a public works department and <laughs> cobbled together everything related to infrastructure in one, you know, massive organization within city government, which moves like molasses in most places. Um, you know, I think we've got to be inventive. We've got to be creative. We've got to change things. And, and we're seeing the results. You know, the proof is obviously in the pudding, and the results are, are pretty good for us, and we're excited about it. Um, you know, uh, recently uh, we've been looking at a lot of our, our demographics, and, um, you know, we are a young city and getting younger. Uh, we have in the last three years, we, our median age has dropped three-tenths of a year every year. We're down to a median age of 27.2, which makes us the youngest city in the Northeast United States. We're okay. a very young place, which, frankly, we're, we're not keeping all of the Salisbury University or University of Maryland Eastern Shore graduates that I would like us to. But what we're, what's amazing is the under 18 population is just we are attracting 35 to 45 year olds and their kids and that's that's the fastest growing demographic for us is well, uh, young parents and and their kids you know your your energy is is so it, it's it's so palpable and i i can feel that and you talked about every major every mayor of a major city in the state of maryland and elsewhere throughout any state they want people, young folks, to come back and reinvest in the city. And having Salisbury University there is one of the major academic institutions, not only on the Eastern Shore, but around the state of Maryland. And I'll give you an example of someone who – my good friend, Ellie Brookbank, who works for the, the, the controller as a special well, assistant. Well, Ellie. You know, Ellie is, is, is just yeah. a tremendous human being. And I've, I've met Mel, Ellie a couple times, and – um, you know, she works with Lynn Foxwell and that they, they have built a stellar Maryland based team. And she's somebody who personifies, you know, she went to Salisbury University and has now continued to contribute to Maryland's, you know, the community as a whole, working for Peter Francho, who I honor and respect and believe is one of Maryland's best public servants there, there ever was. So I agree. You know, I, I 
I look at the city of Hagerstown, and I know we're drawing, drawing a lot of comparisons here, but, you know, we have the Hagerstown Community College and, of course, down in Frederick. Um, and, and I want to give another shout out to um, Mike O'Connor, who just became uh, Frederick City's mayor. Great guy. That's um, right. And then the closest city to us where we are um, is the city of Rock- – is, well, it's not only the city of Rockville, but also the uh, city of Gaithersburg. My buddy Judd Ashman, who mm-hmm. is just a dynamic guy. You – the, the mayors of of the the city of the major cities throughout, they, I I don't know if you all ever get together over dinner or you know if you go down to Mako and all get together and talk about um what's moving your cities forward. But another guy up in the city of Cumberland, which has so much character, Jake, it reminds me a lot of Songbird. There's so much character in the city of Cumberland. They just need some help. You know, they're losing jobs. And there's a and they're they're you know they have. And what what we noticed up in Western Maryland growing up is um, now the heroin problem. We, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But uh, sure, yeah, you know, you have Brian Grimm up there yeah. who is doing a great job. But and I'm I have a close friend who is on the city council in Hagerstown. Her name's Emily Keller. And Emily Keller, I don't know if you've met Emily or have heard of her or have worked with her in any capacity whatsoever, but she has made the opioid crisis her baby. And she, she, it, this was born out of a personal tragic loss where one of her closest friends died of an odor, mm-hmm. overdose. And Emily was ultimately elected to the city council. And then since she, her election, she has organized a, um, a, a massive opioid summit that brought out state leaders from all over, uh, congressional leaders, and has talked openly about this crisis and has worked day in and day out to resolve this. And Emily's only, you know, she's my age, 32, 33 years old. Um, And Jake, this opioid crisis is tearing up major cities all throughout America. And Salisbury, I'm sure, is not exempt. Hagerstown's not exempt. This is a a public health crisis that something that all major mayors of these big cities, little cities alike, have to look at and say, we can't continue to lock up people for this this is a this is a public health crisis speak a little bit about what that's like there on the eastern shore if if you're suffering similar problems and what you've done to address that i can um well you know obviously too many of us uh, and i don't just mean in public life too many of us in america have a similar story to emily's story you know, we've, we've, we all either know someone or are related to someone or, um, you know, have a friend of a friend who has lost their battle with addiction. And, um, you know, no, Salisbury is not exempt. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I think mayors have to do is um, remain mission focused always, but always be on the lookout for what could be the next big hurdle. That you'll run into, so you can't, you know, you, you can't be so blinded by your own successes and so blinded by the good things that are going on that you miss uh, the warning signs of something tragic uh, coming. And and I think in many cities around our nation, especially in you know Northeast and Midwest U.S., um, in too many of our cities, the the hurdle that has either tripped us up or awaits us is the opioid crisis. It is not getting better nationally. It has been getting 
the rate at which it is getting worse um, declined in the last year. However, it's still getting worse. Um, we, I don't want to say we've gotten lucky, um, but but something is working in our region. In 2016, Wicomico County was the only county in the state that had a declining number of opioid overdoses um, and opioid overdose deaths. And in 2017, um, we uh, joined Worcester County and Somerset County, so the three Lower Shore Maryland counties all had a declining rate of, of, of opioid overdoses and overdose deaths. Obviously, that is something that we are incredibly proud of, um, something that you know, we are um, hopeful continues. Um, what did we do to get there? Well, um, a couple things I think are working in our favor. Uh, the COAT program, uh, which is a, an outreach team created by the Wicomico County Health Department, the City of Salisbury, and Wicomico County Sheriff's Office and State's Attorney's Office, um, actually sends people out, sends a team out of uh, peer recovery specialists who go and meet with people when they are overdosing, when they've overdosed, yeah. um, where they use, and tries to convince them to get into treatment right then. That's been, we think, an effective tool. Um, you know, it is something that is not foolproof, but it, and it's certainly not a silver bullet, um, but it has contributed to this reduction. Um, we have focused uh, a, a significant amount of resources on mental health and on responding to homelessness. Um, these things are all connected. And um, the homelessness crisis, for example, we have uh, about 1,500 people uh, on the lower shore across Dorchester, Worcester, Wicomico, and Somerset counties that are in a state of homelessness at any given time. And about 130 people who are 130 people across those four counties that are chronically homeless, meaning they've been homeless for more than a year. Yeah. And in Salisbury, we, we see most of them in the Salisbury area. Do they find their way from Cambridge or from Ocean City or from Pocomoke or Princess Anne to Salisbury? Because we're where the resources are. We're where the services are. So what we did uh, about 18 months ago was stood up um, a housing first initiative, which means we house the chronically homeless permanently. So we provide them with permanent housing for the rest of their life. Um, we ask that they contribute a little bit to their income, uh, of their income to the uh, housing costs. Income usually means uh, SSDI, SSDI um, uh, VA benefits, um, uh, disability benefits, something along those lines. And in, every, in almost every single case, there is a substance abuse history that trails along the chronically homelessness issue. So getting them under a roof doesn't solve all those problems, but it gets them off the street. It gets them out from living in the woods or along the railroad tracks, and it gets them in a place where we can then send the case managers to provide intensive case management and get them the treatment that they need and deserve. And, and those, those uh, practices in concert with you know, Narcan availability and um, and, and uh, practices like the COAT program, I think, are what have contributed to us um, seeing a declining rate of overdoses and a declining rate of overdose deaths. Yeah. When, when I first came into office, we were seeing 
Um, and I had uh, this is a metric that was reported on during my uh, staff meeting. Um, we were seeing 20 to 30 overdoses reported in Wicomico County every single month. Um, today, they're every month in single digits, every month. And deaths are one, maybe two, maybe three um, on a – Ryan, you there? Yeah, still here, Mayor. Sorry. Um, there for a second. So I, th- I think – yeah, so I think what, um, you know, for Salisbury, uh, we're not exempt from those things. Um, they – they are hurdles that await us if we ignore them. So we have to remain actively engaged in them. And that means the mental health crises that cities face. Uh, that means substance abuse crisis. And that certainly means homelessness. Um, and I think, you know, we, we're also always at risk if we, if we focus on, you know, bringing more restaurants downtown and we focus on um, building great spaces like, you know, our Riverwalk Amphitheater, uh, um, our, our Riverwalk Park, our Urban Greenway, um, you know, if, if we ignore at the same time the ills that people who are struggling in our community are having while we're doing those things, you know, the long-term benefits may be there, but the, the short-term, we're going to have a community in crisis. So we don't have a luxury of, operate, of not operating at multiple temporal scales at the same time. Um. Mayor, we have about two and a half minutes left, and I know that you have placed a great emphasis on openness, transparency, communication, and anybody in the city can reach out to you and talk to you, show up to a city council meeting, but I know that you you have availed yourself in a way that I can really appreciate as someone who operates in the media where it's easy to get a hold of you, and if you have a question, then of course, you're going to be there to answer it. And I think that's how I think that's the direction that other major uh, major city mayors here in, in the state of Maryland should should operate. And I know that that approach has it's working for you or so, you know, at least from my perspective, it's, it's working. Um, and I think that's an accomplishment that you should be proud of. So, you know, since be, becoming mayor and, you know, within 30 seconds, what do you what do you think that biggest accomplishment that you and the city council has achieved? Um, wow. You know, I, I really enjoyed, uh, learning that we were Maryland's fastest growing city. Uh, I really enjoyed that we were named the seventh fastest growing job market in America last year. Um, I, I liked reading that realtor magazine said we we're the number one next urban powerhouse, but, <laughs> but I think, um, I think in reality, um, you know, it's, it's changing the dynamic that we had of a city that let negative voices define who we are to become a city where people say, Hey, this is pretty cool. The place we're becoming, you know, and and I don't know that you can define it or measure it, but people know it when they see it. And that speaks to quality of life and that speaks to, you know, leadership and that speaks a government that isn't embarrassing people, but a government that's clearly working, even though they may not get it right every time. It's working for people. Well, you've done, uh, you and your city council have done an excellent job. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you on tonight. And I know that we'll sit down sometime soon and in the city of Salisbury at one of your, maybe your best local restaurants there. And we'll have a, a more in-depth conversation, Mayor. I really appreciate you coming on the night before Labor Day and uh, 
talking about your city. I'm sure that you love plugging it. I know it's your job to be its primary ambassador. But um, this, these conversations that I like to have with po- politicians or rather public servants, candidates, and people from all around the state, they help Maryland to bring a better and more clear picture into what we as a community of Marylanders want to accomplish. And it starts with our cities like Salisbury, like Hagerstown, like Frederick, like Gaithersburg, like Rockville. And it's what it's all about. It's about our community as a whole and as a champion and a leader uh, in your neck of the woods. I have to, I have to say, I think you're doing a hell of a job down there. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that we connected and um, I'm just glad to, to be, uh, you know, a friend of yours. And so I can, you know, continue to follow your career and your council's career as you progress. So Thanks for taking the time to to be part of this tonight. Well, Ryan, thanks for having me. And uh, yes, you can count on that dinner in Salisbury <laughs> some point in time because I've got to convince you to move here, not Cambridge or St. Michael's or Easton. Well, you have to talk to Lynn Foxwell because he he keeps plugging Cambridge or Easton for me, and uh, yeah, he makes a pretty convincing case. But the way things have been I'll moving, my buddies are. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, you will, and so. Um, Jake, I hope you you and your family have a wonderful Labor Day, and uh, your wife, who I'm sure is going back to school. We're all ready to go back to school here soon. I know our kids are ready. Um, we have a uh, we have a sixth grader and a ninth grader, so two new schools, two new adventures that we're moving into. But uh, I wish her the very best, and I wish you continued success and uh, your public service. And uh, we'll get together soon, my friend. Ryan, this has been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jake, and have a great week. All right. That was Salisbury Mayor. He's doing some fascinating new initiatives in the city of Salisbury. He talked about them. He talked about his pillar program, and you can check out Salisbury's website if you're a resident, of course, and learn more about your city services, salisbury.md, and you can learn all about the city of Salisbury's, uh, or what, what Mayor Day calls his nine pillars. And you can learn more about how you can get in touch with your city council officials. And I know these guys, look, they're, they're going to help you. They're going to, they're going to make sure if you ever have a, a municipal issue, reach out to them. That's what they're there for. So with that, um, we'll be back again next week, same time, same place, a minor detail.com on the web. And um, blogtalkradio.com slash a minor detail. Uh, my name is Ryan Minor. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Great discussion tonight with Mayor Jake Day. Have a good week, everybody, and enjoy your Labor Day. Keep it safe, happy, and be healthy. My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast, where the minor details of every story matter. Each week, I talk to Maryland newsmakers, from elected officials, journalists, political candidates, to policy wonks and everyday Marylanders. A Minor Detail podcast is the fusion between Maryland news and politics. Real people, real stories, honest conversation. You can also follow us on the web at a minordetail.com. Sit back, relax, and have fun.